listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. The Bible is not an old book. The Bible is a timeless book. The Bible doesn't tell us simply what happened. The Bible tells us what always happens. Notice you're like, yeah, that's true. I get it. How does that affect us today? Well, think about the story of scripture that we just saw and think about the place of God in our culture. Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who condescended to speak life into dust, who creates man and woman in his image, Almighty God has been pushed to the margins of our society, even in our lives. Consider the device that you so often have in your pocket, or maybe even more often in your hand. Where we used to need the presence of the Almighty God for communion, for intimacy, for gratification, for satisfaction, for identity, for purpose. Now we have in our hand, with the swipe of a finger, we can have every bit of information, we can have any sort of gratification, we can have any sort of community that we want to have. And we don't have a need or a place for the almighty being anymore in our existence. And we see it in our culture, there's this centrifugal force that is pulling us further and further away from the presence of God. It's pushing us. We don't need that anymore. So now we're at the margins of society, the margins of culture. And if you were to begin a statement with, whether it's on social media or in person, if you begin a statement with, the Bible says, it sounds like you just got off of a time machine. Like, what? The Bible says... So the place of God has been moved from the center of our existence. Now notice I'm not speaking here about the culture. I'm speaking about us individually. And we can make the argument for or against the center of culture, the center of society, whether or not it's America or Israel or somewhere else, somewhere in the middle. But consider your life. Consider the valuation of God and his presence in your life. How much or how little you need him. But as we do look culturally, the culture has dismissed the existence of God as being some sort of superstitious bigotry. Again, we can't begin with the Bible says. And for us, we are now marginalized. We're aliens. We're sojourners. We're exiles. We're on the fringes of society. And it's really easy, friend, It's really easy for us. Again, I'm speaking to you individually. I'm speaking to me, not to another church, not to someone else, not to these grandiose groups of folks, but to you individually. It's really easy for you and I to become angry, for us to become disenfranchised, bewildered, for us to become discouraged, defensive, defeated. We begin asking questions like, How am I supposed to live here? Am am I looking for the new Messiah 
on the ballot of the next voting cycle that we have? Or am I just becoming completely dismissive and apathetic about those around me? Ah, well, that's what they believe, so I'm just gonna write them off and ignore them. Or do I think that I'm gonna convince everybody of my perspective on social media? And that because I post a few things every day, like all of a sudden they're going to get it and I'm gonna convince them of what's right. But the question you must ask yourself this morning, as we look at the book of Daniel, the question that you must ask yourself, how are you going to live in this new normal? How are you going to live in this new normal? And enter Daniel. Because Daniel was asking that same question. The Israelite people, they were asking that very same question. Things were a lot different in their day, but some of these principles are still true. So this morning, before we dig into Daniel, we'll start, like I said, next Sunday. I want to give us an overview of the way that Daniel is constructed. And then I want us to look at an overview of the purposes and the plans and the people of God throughout the scripture and understand that our response is the same as the people in the book of Daniel. Our response is not one of retreating and say, man, the culture's bad. I'm getting as far away as possible. And it's not, well, man, it's just, that's just how we are. I'm just gonna be engulfed with the things of society. So here's the way that Daniel is broken down. There are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. And the first seven chapters, uh, chapters one through seven, are the narrative portion of Daniel. Sometimes I, I say the first half of Daniel, and really it's the first six chapters. And we're going to be looking at the first ch six chapters between now and the end of November. But those first uh, six to seven chapters are the narrative portion of Daniel. We're, we're pretty familiar with the narrative portion of Daniel. Uh, is Daniel and the lion's den? Is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we know them, which are their uh, Babylonian names, uh, being thrown into the fiery furnace and not getting burned up? We're familiar with the narrative portion of Daniel. The problem is that we often take the narrative part and we make it incredibly moralistic. Hey, you can be a Daniel. You can be a Shadrach. You can be a Meshach. But you can do these things. And I would encourage you, we should have the bravery that Daniel exhibits here, but he points us to Jesus. That's the source of our power and our strength, not Daniel. So the narrative half, like 40% of the Old Testament is familiar to us. In these first seven chapters, and chapter seven is really kind of um, this hinge chapter. And so it fits into the narrative portion, but it's also, it takes us into this prophetic section of Daniel. So it's kind of a weird chapter right there. But these first seven chapters, discuss the events of Daniel's life, who, by the way, Daniel was a very real person. In chapter 10 and verse number 20, uh, verse 21, he claims authorship. Ezekiel, I think in chapter 34, talks about Daniel. In fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus quotes and talks about Daniel. He's a real person. This is not just a collection of ideas or stories. Daniel's a very real person. In the prophetic half, in the second half, we see symbols. And this is where we like to pull out our flannel graphs, our charts. This is where we like to look at these timelines and figure out, okay, if these things are happening and if we see these images, we see these symbols, we can look around. What's the military working on today? Is, is this what Daniel was talking about? Was he talking about the B-2 bomber? That's when I was in middle school, right? This B we can find all these things, and we can look at the Hebrew, and we can look at the Aramaic, and man, he's, he's talking about this. Jesus is about to come back. He's coming back next week. And I'm still here, and he's still not back. 
But we look at the second half of Daniel, and we begin trying to draw connections to current events. But can I just give us a, a real quick word of warning on that? Daniel talks about the end of days. The end of days began when Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was resurrected and he ascended. So when we look at, for instance, Acts chapter two, when who's preaching right there in Acts chapter two, the beginning of Acts two, anybody know who's preaching? Just say Jesus, but that's not right, okay? It's Peter. <laughs> so Peter's sitting there preaching in Acts chapter two and he's preaching from what? From the book of Joel. He's preaching from Joel and Peter says, the end of days are here now because Christ's work on earth is finished. And these are the end of days that Joel was talking about. These are the end of days that Daniel is talking about. Now the end, capital E, end of days, the end, finale, finito, no mas, like it's coming. We don't know when the end is going to be here, capital E, end, but we know that right now, based on the scriptures, that the end of days is here. And it's been here for the past almost 2,000 years. So there are going to be some similarities between our day and Daniel's day. And we may think, oh man, the end is coming. But can I tell you, friends, that we can even see throughout the scriptures, they were looking for Jesus to return even in the first century after Jesus was dead. And he's still not back. So what do we take away from that? We don't know when Jesus is coming back. In fact, who, who's the only person who knows when Jesus is coming back? The Father. Does Jesus know when he's coming back? No. Which is crazy. Can you uh, dissect uh, your views on the Trinity? No, I can't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that smart. I can't figure it out. But we trust the word of God. We also know that in Revelation chapter 5, we're familiar with the angels around the throne. It's very similar to Ephesians chapter, or to Isaiah chapter 6. We see the angels around the throne in Revelation 5, the first five verses there. And they're saying, worthy is the lamb. They're saying, worthy is the one. And then we hear these voices going out. Who is worthy to open the scrolls that talk about the end of days? They say, Jesus. He is the one who is worthy. And then we have chapter 6 through 22 talking about the end of days, the end. The scroll that John is talking about there in Revelation chapter 5 is the book of Daniel. That's at least one of the scrolls. So in Revelation chapter 5, we see the angels, and we see the Father opening the scroll saying, the end of days, the church age, these prophetic times, the end of days is what the rest of Revelation is about. So when we think about the end of days, we need to keep that perspective. The Bible is not an old book, it's a timeless book. It doesn't tell us simply what happened, it tells us what is always happening, what always happens. It's talking about today. So when we read the book of Daniel, we have the first half, the narrative half. We have second half, uh, chapters 7 through 12, or the prophetic half, chapters 8 through 12. The other thing that's interesting about the book of Daniel is that chapter 1 is written in Hebrew. And in chapter 2 and verse number 4, it actually changes. It's not written in Hebrew anymore. It's written in, anybody know? Aramaic, yeah. Oh, it says it right there. Well, good job. Y'all can read. Or some of y'all are like, I don't know. So, so chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. And then it switches back in chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8, and it goes back to Hebrew. It's written in Hebrew there. The reason for that is because chapter 1 is talking about the events that have taken place in Jerusalem for the Jewish people. Chapters 2 through 7 is talking about the events that are taking place in Babylon. And then chapters 8 through 12, again, are going back to prophecies about the people of God. Things that are happening. Things that are happening today. The end of days. The end of the age. 
from when Jesus initiated to when Jesus returns again. The reason that's important for us this morning is because we understand what it means to live in our, we'll say, home country, in heaven, an ideal idea of what existence should be like. We understand, man, Jesus is king. We have, we're surrounded by the people of God. We have the word of God. We love each other. I love you. You love me. I'm one with the Father. This is great. But that's not where we spend the majority of our lives, friend. It's here on a Sunday morning. So the question that Daniel answers for us is, okay, you know how to live in your home country, but how do you live when the rulers all around you care nothing for the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what it means to be at home, in your house, but what about when you're in exile? How do you live then? Israel, nice, good, Jerusalem, fantastic, beautiful, but what about when you're in Babylon? What about when the culture no longer appreciates authority, much less the authority of God's word, much less the existence or the authority of God? What about when unborn children are being put to death in the womb? And if you speak out against that, you're removing the right that a woman has over her own body. That's the culture that we live in. That's the society that we live in. It becomes acceptable for now, you don't have to find your satisfaction and gratification in the presence of God or in the gift of a spouse that he's given you if you want to find your sexual expression there, but now you can go to your phone. And if you don't do that, according to our culture, there's something wrong with you. Why would you not? Why would you not be as happy as possible? Why would you not live your best life? You're not hurting anybody, right? And if the goal is simply consent, then it's just between you and that screen. Not a big deal. So that's where we are as a culture. And we're moving further and further along that path. So we know what, it li what it's like to live at home, but what is it like to live when we were in Babylon? Mark chapter 13, it says this in verses 7 and 13. This is up on the screen. Mark 13 says, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. So again, a warning to those who are trying to put a date on Jesus' return. And then in verse 13, he says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. We saw this again last week in John 17, right? You will be hated uh, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does this mean? As long as you said a prayer way back when in BBS, then you're going to be okay. Is that what that means? As long as you show up on some Sundays, or in case you just need something. I had somebody tell me this a few weeks ago. Man, I'm glad I was here this morning. I really just needed that. You need a what? A sermon to help you emotionally? Or you need a what? To endure to the end. That's the presence of God enduring through the midst of whatever life is throwing at you, whatever the enemy is throwing at you, whatever the demonic rulers are throwing at you. You say, but I have the presence of God and that's going to be what holds me until the end. Not a pithy sermon. Not something that just really spoke to you and then boom, as soon as I need you, God, I'll be back. Thanks. See ya. See you in a few more months. The book of Daniel is a realistic 
survival manual for the saints. So as we are being attacked, Daniel is going to show us this is how we survive. This is how we thrive. This is how we act. This is how we love. We see the same idea uh, throughout the New Testament several times. Peter talks about it a lot. The author of Hebrews talks about it. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, this same idea of exile, sojourner, alien. Hebrews 11 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having... A, <laughs> Whenever I say afar, I always think a fire, like the way of, you know, dirt, a fire. Uh, greeted them from afar and, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He's speaking there about those who have faith, those who remain to the end. First Peter chapter two, he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Throughout all of human history, when the people of God are not in exile, they are in idolatry. When the people of God are not in exile, they are in idolatry. And you can apply that to your life personally. We can apply it to the people of God corporately. We'll begin with at the very beginning of time. So Adam and Eve, don't hold me to these dates. Chris Brown, he's preaching the same sermon in Locust Grove. He said, are you going to say that? I said, no, the Bible does. So if we take the dates of uh, personhood back, we get Adam and Eve created about 4,000 BC. As soon as Adam and Eve are created, like 10 minutes later, what do they do? They sin. What do they become at that point? Exiles. Whenever I ask you that question for the next like three minutes, the answer is going to be exiles, okay? They become exiles, if you forget that, just again, just say Jesus, okay? They become exiles, kicked out of the garden, kicked out of their home. They become exiles. We see Noah's flood. All these people, okay, ah, we, you know, we're not going to be exiles anymore. We're going to create our own path. What do we see? Idolatry. Noah's flood happens, wipes out the face of the planet, except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Eight people. You're like, okay, fresh start. We're going to be good. We're not going to be exiled. We're not going to create idols anymore. As soon as Noah gets off the ark, what does he do? He gets smashed. He gets drunk. And then he builds an altar. It's like, what? What? He gets naked. He takes all his clothes off. He says, thank you so much, God, for this, for this wine and uh, for making me. Like, what? That didn't last long. Not a great beginning. Then we have in the year 2022. This is all BC, before Christ, by the way. The Tower of Babel. We see the people who are trying to, which sound really familiar to Babylon, same place. People are trying to build a tower to God. They want to be God. Idolatry. 2090 BC, God initiates the covenant with Abraham. What does Abraham then do? Okay, fresh start, beautiful. No, he goes and he impregnates one of his servants. More idolatry. You're like, man, that, that doesn't last long. It doesn't. There's a handful of years when there's not exile or idolatry, if that. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. As a result, the Israelite people then go into exile, into slavery for 400 years. They come out of the exile in 1446, the exodus from Egypt. What do they do as soon as they get out? Okay, no more exile, and we're going to worship God alone. No. They build golden calves. Like, you know what? We're going to worship that. They go from exile. Boom! By the end of the day, they're back into idolatry. It's crazy, man. The whole way through. Stop me when you find a year that they're not in exile or idolatry, okay? Uh, 1446, 
God provides for his people. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He says, go, I want you to conquer the land of Canaan. What do the Israelites do? Oh, man. You know what I like more than obeying God? Is being in, being in exile. I like wandering around. We're going to do that for 40 years instead, God, because we don't trust you. We don't worship you alone. So they wander in the desert. Then they conquer Canaan. Whew. Good to go. Time of the judges. We preached on this last year. What did the judges, what's the phrase that's used all throughout the book of Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They did evil, was, they did what was evil in the sight of God. Idolatry. After Judges, King Saul rules over, why, why is there a king? Because the people didn't want God as their king. They wanted to rebel against him. They'd rather be exiles from the kingdom of God Create idols. King Saul, who's a terrible king, he rules over Israel. Then King David rules over Israel. Like decent times, but they're still being forced out of their own country during this time. Right after that, we have King Solomon who rules over Israel. Then the temple of the Lord is dedicated in Jerusalem. Finally, something good happens. Oh, wait, the kingdom of Israel is divided into north and south because of idolatry. They're sent into exile. Isaiah here warns of this coming judgment. 722, fall of the northern kingdom. Then we have Jeremiah, we're going to see this in a minute, warns of the coming judgment against Israel. 605, key date. What year? 605 BC, right? Uh, Daniel was taken captive to Babylon. The people of God are then moved into exile because they spent so many years in idolatry. Ezekiel was taken captive into Babylon. There's the fall of the southern kingdom, 586, another crucial, crucial year. Uh, then there's the fall of uh, Babylon to the Persians, just a little while after that. Cyrus decrees the Jews can return to Jerusalem. In 530, Daniel dies. So we see all throughout the Old Testament, as soon as they return, what do they do? Man, we love you, God. This is amazing. And we don't hear from God anymore because they turn to idols really quickly. And then we have in 516, the temple is rebuilt 70 years after it was destroyed. Really key number right there. And then we have in 4 AD, Jesus is born. Okay, whew, fresh start. We think it's all better. Old Testament, exile, idolatry. What do we have in the New Testament? What do people do? They welcome Jesus, right? Yes, Jesus, we want to worship you. No, they kill him. What happens as a result in 70 AD? Uh, well, Jesus crucified, he resurrects, he ascends. Right there, most of the New Testament is written. Then in 70 AD, they're sent back into exile. The diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews, of the Christians. They're hated, they're killed, they're murdered. And we see that through most of human history for the, for the past 2,000 years. And in 95, John writes the book of Revelation. So we see all throughout the scriptures, the people of God are either in exile or they are in idolatry. The book of Daniel is no different. Here's how I want us to define exile for the next several months. It's this, those people who have been driven out by God or, and or, the people who experience God's just, just banishment for sin. They are exiles. Now, one thing as we read the book of Daniel, and that's what we see throughout almost the entire Old Testament and New Testament, this is what exile means. But as we read the book of Daniel, here's the other side of that that I want us to see. And I'm gonna cover this really quickly this morning. I want us to also see that we're, they're not just in judgment and punishment, so they, oh, woe is me, I can't wait to get out of here. The plan and the mission of God from day one has always included those who were in exile. 
For some reason, God uses that for the sake of his mission to the ends of the earth. So this period of exile is not this, okay, here's the plan, the mission of God, and we have this quick little detour, we're in exile, and now we're back on the mission of God. The people of God being in exile is part of God's mission. It is also because they have been disobedient to God and created idols. I want us to go to Jeremiah chapter 24. Go there with me if you would. This is not going to be up on the screen, but three things that I want us to see. First of all, it's God's plan for his people. Jeremiah 24, he says this. Jeremiah, by the way, we just saw this, um, was a contemporary of, of Daniel's. And so he's writing here about the same time period. To understand Daniel, we have to understand Jeremiah. So if you want to read something this next week, next week I'm preaching Daniel 1, verses 1 through 7. After that, I'm going to pick up in verse number 8. The next week I'm going to pick up in chapter 2. Like, we're going to go through that. But I would encourage you, if you want to understand that better, this week read Jeremiah. He says this, uh, chapter 24, After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim. Words like that, if you're reading those out loud, you just read them quick and confidently, Okay. The king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen and the metal workers who had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. This is the vision to Jeremiah. I want us to see that this vision helps us to think differently about those who were in exile. There's two, there's a, where are we at? Verse, still verse one, it's a long verse. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. Notice the difference in figs here, verse two. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs so bad that they could not be eaten, which I would say are all figs. <laughs> um, verse three, and the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad figs, very bad, so bad they cannot be eaten. Verse four, then the word of the Lord came to me. Notice how he describes these two baskets of figs. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah. Those who are in exile, good figs, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. When you hear Chaldeans, hear Babylon. Babylonians, same thing. I want to send them to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good. Who? The ones who are in exile. And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up, not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. This helps us to reverse our entirely negative view of the exile. Notice what he says about the bad figs. This is where the wrath of God lies. Interestingly enough, verse seven, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Verse eight, but that says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad that they cannot be eaten, so will I treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. Which folks are these? The ones that had all the freedom. The ones who were not in exile. The ones who created a society and a culture the way that they wanted. Not the ones who are being oppressed, who are being repressed. 
Verse 10, and I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave them and to their fathers. We must get this. Get this, friends. In the book of Daniel, it is the exiles in Babylon who are truly counted to be God's blessed people. It is those in exile. If you want to identify with somebody in this book, Right here, even at the beginning, we're going to see it next week in Daniel 1. But as we look at this, if you want to be identified with the good figs or the bad figs, if you want to be one of the good figs, so good that they can be eaten, turn into Newtons, turn into whatever you do with figs. I'm not sure, jams or jellies. Whatever they do with Newtons, then you must understand that to be in exile is to be one of God's chosen people. That's where he wanted his people. They were in the center of God's positive mission for the world. In exile. That's God's plan for his people. Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to see God's plans for Babylon. We're familiar with Jeremiah 29 because you probably have a mug in your house. I wish we could do with all those mugs what we did back in the 90s with our Led Zeppelin CDs and uh, just go burn them all. <laughs> um, anybody do that uh, back in the day? Yeah. Some of you are all like, oh, what? Um, man, back, yeah, back in the 90s, we had like these CD burning parties and tape burning parties. Okay, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, 11, good verse, really good. Understand the context of it. Who is he speaking here to? Exiles. Pick up verse number four, though, Jeremiah 29, verse number four. Here, I want us to appreciate the uniqueness of God's plan, not just for God's people, but for Babylon during these years, for the city. Verse number four, he says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is again, Jeremiah writing to those who are in Babylon, writing about those who are in Babylon. This says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of what city? Babylon. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for whom? Babylon. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. In other words, these prophets were coming in and saying, hey, let's try to get out of here. Hey, don't, hey, just cut yourself off from the city. He's saying, no, those are lies. Pour into the city because my heart for the city, my heart for the king is what we're going to see. Daniel's heart for the city, Daniel's heart for the king is one of compassion. The mission of God went right through exile. It included Babylon. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, 70 years, key, key uh, number there, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Where? In Babylon, in exile. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me while you are in exile. 
when you seek me with your whole heart. Those who were the bad figs, those who had all the freedom in the world, those who had pushed the presence of God to the margins, those who did not care at all about engaging with the people of God for the power of God in loving others, they were not seeking God with their whole heart. Those are bad figs. And over and over we hear, they're not even worth being eaten. They're useless to God. So sometimes we have to be broken. We have to go into exile so that our, our idols are revealed to us so that we can repent. Verse 14, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That's the promise that we are to hold on to. In the midst of exile, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Seek the city's welfare. Make peace there. He says, pray for it. Bless it. Your home, at least for a season, is in exile. You can be part of the community, part of the society there. That doesn't mean that's where your hope is. Your hope is still in heaven. But while you're there, be on the mission of God to those people. It's, if you want to look at Psalm um, chapter 87, he says there, those who know about God, he says those are the ones who are from Babylon. He mentions several other cities and countries there. But those who know about God there in Babylon only know about him because of the exiles who are making their home there. The only way, friend, that those around you are going to know about who Jesus is is because you are in exile among them. We are not yet home. This is not our home. This is not our final resting place. Hopefully that is really good news for you this morning. But as we look at the past week, how often have we tried to make this a better and better home for us? How often are we seeking roots, sinking roots financially in conversations with our future, with our hopes, with our dreams, with our children, by defining what success is for them, for us? This is not our home. Daniel is similar to Jonah. He goes and preaches to whom? He preaches the Assyrians. Terrible people. How are those around us going to know about Jesus? Through us. So we, got, we see God's plans for his people, God's plans for Babylon. The last thing I want us to see, we're going to jump to the New Testament, Romans chapter 10. God's plans for the world. Look at Romans 10 with me. We see here, we're going to look at these, these 10 verses. We see here that the God of the exiles... Five, six, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus. That's the same God that we worship today. He is faithful. He remains true. He is constant. He is the one that they ran to. He is the one that we run to. His mission from day one has not changed. He told Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Here's how this looks today for us in 2022. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse number 9. Paul writes this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. No, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction, Jew or Greek. Notice what he says. So how do we find that? And if we look back at at Jeremiah chapter 29, he says, I'm going to restore the fortunes, the fortunes from all nations. Here's what he says right here. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So how are those who are not here this morning going to hear? How are those in other nations going to hear? How are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The point of us being an exile, friend, is that the mission of God would go forward to those who need to hear about him. We are not a a cul-de-sac here of good news. We are recipients of the good news of the gospel of grace. And it got to us through centuries and millennia of the faithfulness of God and of his people proclaiming that good news to someone else who proclaimed it to someone else, who proclaimed it to someone else. We are not the beginning and we are certainly not the end of the proclamation of good news. He says, well, here, he's got to be a preacher. No. Someone who preaches, who proclaims, who heralds. Someone who's making disciples. Friends, you're preaching some sort of good news to your children, to your spouse, to your neighbors, to your coworkers. You're preaching some sort of news. Something is really good news to you in your life. And you're hoping to convince that person of that good news. Maybe this morning, good news for you is that Georgia won yesterday. And I'm glad they did. Maybe good news for you is, is that college football is back. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that you just got more, you just got a raise, you got another job. I don't, I don't know what that is. Eventually, those things are going to fail you. Eventually, college football season is going to be over again, just like it was last year. But how are we proclaiming those things to our family, to our kids? Because being at home in Babylon does not mean finding fulfillment there. Our fulfillment is in the coming kingdom of Christ. That is our hope. The mission of God has not changed. And in the same way that the word of God is timeless, the reign of Christ our King is timeless. The good news of the gospel is that, yeah, we were created in the image of God. We messed up. We were sinners. We were sent into exile. But guess what Jesus Christ did? We see it in the Gospels right before Romans was written. Jesus Christ stepped into our exiled state and he became sin for us. You talk about exile. Someone who is perfect, who only knew the perfect holy presence of God, 
where he was surrounded by angels, which looked really scary. They had wings and eyes popping out from all kinds of places, but they were declaring the glory of God for all time. And he leaves that, and he becomes like us. He becomes sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And he redeems us from exile. And he says, step into my home, step into my kingdom, step into my family. You're mine. I love you. I gave myself for you. You were the point of my mission. I went and retreated you. Now go tell other people about how awesome my kingdom is. Go. The mission of God has not ended. We are all sent. How are those folks going to know? By those who are sent. That's us. Friend, we have, a, we have a great opportunity right in front of us. The fields are white unto harvest. Our culture is looking for a place to find meaning and belonging and community and intimacy and purpose and satisfaction. And we have the presence of Jesus to offer them. That is going to satisfy them. So I would plead with you this morning to surrender your life to the one who gave his life for yours. You see, he identified with us in sin on the cross. He was put to death by us. He was put in the ground fully dead for three days. But then on that Sunday morning, he rose to life, victorious, over every sin that you could ever think of committing. He took the penalty that you deserved. He became an exile so that you could be made one of his children, so that you could be adopted in. He rose to life. He hung out here on earth about 40 days. He goes back up into heaven. And right now he is a mediator making intercession for you to the father saying, she's mine, he's mine. That one right there, I know, I know they're kind of jacked up, but they're mine too. That's the good news of the gospel of grace. It is a timeless message. So respond this morning and surrender. Maybe for your first time, you're like, man, I want to place my faith in Jesus. Amen. Respond, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Surrender your time this week to those who don't yet believe. I don't know which one of those surrender looks like for you. Maybe it's for the very first time. You say, man, I need, I need to place my faith and hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. Yeah, call on his name. Maybe you say, I've been incredibly selfish. I've pushed the presence of God to the margins of my life and I want him to be the center of my life. Surrender your time, your conversations, your finances, your resources, your sleep, your Netflix, your chilling, whatever. Surrender those things to Christ. Find your satisfaction there. Our days are limited, but Jesus Christ is all satisfying.